bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When you were a kid, were you the kind of kid that liked to uh, take apart stuff and put it back together? I was never. I was never that kind of kid. I always wanted to be, but I got big fat fingers, you know. Like these fingers aren't really good at getting into the intricate little bitty details of taking the watch apart or things like that. I've always been fascinated by how things fit together and how things work out. But I, I just don't have the, um, shall we say, the, the dexterity to kind of make it all work out like you want to if you're putting it back together. But I've always been fascinated by how everything kind of fits together and the connections of how things fit together. If you know anything about computers, you know that all computers are basically you put something in, you get something out. And if you're coding something or working on something and you put the wrong typo in there or do the wrong thing, it'll, it'll come up with a result completely different than you expected it. Everything fits together and everything works together in those type ways. I've always just really been fascinated by, by these connections. You know, everywhere I've been, I've learned something new, kind of behind the scenes of how things work. We've been blessed to have served all over the state. Now, I've gotten to see some really interesting behind-the-scenes things about different types of things. In the Delta, I learned about how, how farmers work and uh, how the mechanization of the farm in the Delta in the last hundred years and how it's changed so many things about how things work. And then we moved to Philadelphia and I learned about a different kind of farming. I learned about chicken farming. You ever been on a chicken farm when they catch the chickens to take them to the processing plant? The phrase chicken with its head cut off is not a metaphor. It's very literal. It's a very interesting process to see the trucks come in and to see over a six hour period a quarter of a million birds go from the, the houses to the processing plants. It's all the pieces that fit together and work together. Then when we moved to Ripley, I had a church full of accountants. I learned I like accountants. They keep me out of trouble. <laughs> they tell me when to stop spending money. I like that. That's good for me. So, uh, so I learned. And then, then in Pedal, we learned about the military because of Camp Shelby across the, across the, the river. A lot of military folk in my church. So I got to see how all these different things fit together. And here we've got all kind of stuff in the church that I've learned about. And I'm always learning how things fit together and how work fits together. And it's always fascinating for me to see these intricate connections and to see the levels of connections and to see what it all means. I love that. I think it's beautiful to see how it fits together. You ever thought about how worship happens. You're talking about the process that goes on in the building or designing the worship service. There's a joke about preachers. We like long offertories. It gives us more time to work on our sermon. We enjoy that. Um, when I was the seminary I went to, I think I may have shared this with you before, the seminary I went to was in Memphis. And it was a very diverse seminary. It was a, a Presbyterian seminary by nature. But it had gotten to the point that the two main groups on campus were Methodist. And then a, a group called the Church of God in Christ. That's an African-American Pentecostal church. So it was weird that this Presbyterian seminary, the two biggest groups were Methodist and Pentecostals. Um, which is an interesting story in and of itself. But in the Presbyterian tradition... Most preachers did not serve a church till they were a seminary graduate. In the Methodist tradition, I mean, I started preaching by the time I, 
I felt called to preach. Here's a church. Cool. I mean, that's kind of how quick it worked, it felt like. But uh, I was preaching while I was in seminary. So I had a lot of experience doing the stuff of worship. In the Presbyterian church, that really wasn't the case. So before you graduated, you had to do a class called Preaching Practicum. Preaching Practicum was basically, over the course of the semester, you would do the acts and rituals of worship. So the first time you baptized a child wasn't when you baptized a child. I mean, you had done the, the first time you served communion wasn't serving communion. You got to pr- practice it, if you will. So, and then your classmates critiqued what you did because it was a good chance to learn. Well, one of my good friends, like I said, was Pentecostal. He couldn't get over this. He just could not wrap his head around a bulletin. He said, Andy, what are you going to do if one Sunday God calls you to do something that, in the bull- that is not in the bulletin? I said, first off, God's not going to do that. I said, secondly, if he was going to do that, he would let us know by Thursday so we could put it in the bulletin. <laughs> Problem solved, you know. He said, what would you do one Sunday if somebody in your church stood up and yelled, Amen. I said, I'd look at him and go, shh, we're in church. So it's interesting learning from these different traditions. Think about what all, what all goes into a worship service and what, what, all, what, all, what all affects worship. One of my highest privileges in worship is to each week, and it, it, it was this way in, in Ripley and Asbury and here, uh, is to work with this amazing team to plan worship. You know this, but the work that Tim and Frank and Alan and this choir put in to worship is amazing. I mean, they, they give so much of their time, so much of their energy, so much of their efforts to make sure that we, as the people of God, can worship. It truly is amazing to see all that goes in to building and constructing and to making a worship service work like you want it to. Because here's the thing. It's amazing. Worship, we stand in the line of so many believers who have gone before. We're not the first folks to ever walk this path. I love, C.S. Lewis has a term called chronological snobbery. I love that term. C.S. Lewis says, we believe we're the smartest folks ever. We believe we're smarter than those old folks in the past. They don't know what they're doing, but we are enlightened. And that's simply not the case in worship. There are things that happen in worship that Christians have been doing for, for, for centuries, for thousands of years. One, one of my favorite parts of worship, one of my absolute favorite parts of worship, happens on Wednesdays. Wednesday morning, about 9 o'clock, our weekday teachers bring all of our weekday students here into the sanctuary. And they sit on those four or five rows right there. And what we do is we do a chapel service every Wednesday. By the way, y'all, I want you to hear this. There are children that we they program whose families don't go to church. There are families in that program that don't know Jesus, that are not, that are not Christian. Wow, y'all, every Wednesday I get to share the gospel with children that don't know Jesus. Come on, y'all, if that didn't fire you up, something's wrong with you. That's what this whole thing's about. Wesley said you have one job, and that's to save souls. Every, every Wednesday, I get to share the gospel with children. Boom. 
Shut the whole place down after that. That's what it's about. Sorry, get a little fired up about Jesus. But we start off chapel with something. Every week we start off, I take our very holy big lighter here, bought at the sacred place known as Walmart, and I take this lighter, and I light these candles. And every child that goes to this week program knows, I say, hey, y'all, why do we light the candles? And they all say, we light the candles to show that God is here. Not God's here whether we light the candles or not. Scripture says we're two or more gathered who will be in our midst. But we light these candles every Wednesday so these children understand that God is present. And that God is here. And these candles, this is just, it's a little secret. Not even a wax candle. It's filled with oil. We bought this at Walmart. There's nothing magical about this, but what happens is God blesses it. And when we light these candles, we are reminded, we remember that God is in our presence, that God is in our midst, and that our holy God, the creator of all that is both seen and unseen, the very God that rolled away the stone on Easter Sunday morning is here with us now. And these children on Wednesday, when we light those candles, know that. That God is present. And then we end our chapel each week with the Lord's Prayer. These kids are learning the Lord's Prayer. And that's a beautiful thing, y'all. That's a beautiful thing. There's something beautiful and holy about worship, y'all. And here's the thing. I want to say this as well. This morning as I was getting ready to come to church, I was just praying. Praying for our church. And I was thinking about other places I've been in ministry and thinking about what it's going to take for our church to continue to grow and continue to be faithful because God's been good to us, but our work's not done. And, and it's like the Lord laid on my heart this morning, what we've got to have for our church to really take that next step. I mean, it's just our overall faithfulness. That's one of the reasons why we're reading the Bible every day. It's just to teach us to be faithful. But y'all, we are so blessed here to have three amazing worship services. Two traditional services that are as good as anything I've ever seen, and then a contemporary service. And I guess my prayer for you is this year is two things. One, to be faithful in worship attendance, and two, to invite somebody. If contemporary worship, it may not be your thing. But the team down there with Ants and his team and Aaron and her preaching, what they're doing down there is amazing. And there's folks all around us that might not feel comfortable in a traditional setting. Well, Invite them to intersection. I'm not saying you got to go, but invite somebody. When was the last time, by the way, imagine the hospitality. If you invite somebody, I, I got a guy, my last, my last church I served was, was all contemporary. I preached in blue jeans. We had a guy in the church that hated contemporary worship. Oh, he hated it. <laughs> he hated it with a passion. <laughs> But he came every Sunday, and he invited folks to worship because he saw lives being changed. That's amazing because he saw the difference that, can, that it can make. So I guess what I'm saying is no matter what your preference is, hey, at St. Matthews, you're blessed. You are blessed, y'all. You can be part of a church that offers a variety of worship experiences. So whatever you feel comfortable in, feel called to, be faithful in there, but invite somebody. 
Invite somebody to worship with us. See, here's the thing. I love this traditional setting. But here's the thing about our traditional settings. Um, We like them because we feel comfortable in them. And that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to feel comfortable. But one of the things we've forgotten is we're really good at church, particularly as Methodists, of doing things and not knowing why we do them. I have a, a book on my, my, my bookshelf that says, you might, you remember the old Jeff Foxworthy thing, you might be a redneck if? What's well, called, you might be a Methodist if? And uh, one of them is, you know the book of discipline has nothing to do with raising your children, you know? Uh, you might be United Methodist if UMW means United Methodist women, not United Mind Workers, you know, just little things like that. Um, but there's things we do in our church that we always do them because we've always done them, but we don't know why we do them. For instance, why do we have this thing here in the middle of the aisle? This is very inefficient. It is. We've got to walk around it. The kids, the, the acolytes got to walk around it when they bring the light in to represent Christ. It'd be a lot more efficient to move this. It gets in the way. And that's the point. It's supposed to get in the way. It's our baptismal font. There's no water in here now. But every time you come in this place and you see this thing right here, you're supposed to be reminded that there's a God who marked you by his grace. A God who loves you. A God who says, you are mine. I have called you by name, and I have redeemed you. You are mine. You still must choose that, but that's why this is in the way. It's supposed to get in the way. It's supposed to obscure your sight. It's supposed to remind you that you are his, marked by his grace. You ever noticed our colors? Some of these things we're just comfortable with because we grew up with them and we like them. It's green now. By the way, this stole. When I was ordained into ministry, the bishop, I was ordained by Bishop Ward, she put a stole and put it around my neck. This stole is symbolic of the yoke of Christ placed upon me. The last thing I did before I preached on Sundays is I put my stole on me to remind myself that my life is not my own. My life is not mine. My life is his. I've taken a vow to God to go where he sends and do what he says. And this stole is to me a visible, tangible reminder that my life is not my own. By the way, if you're a baptized believer, your life is not your own either. But you've accepted his marking upon you, his grace upon you to follow wherever it is he leads. We have these colors here. They're green today. Green, symbolic of the season after Epiphany. Green, meaning growth. In a few weeks, we'll move into Lent. Purple, purple, synonymous with royalty. Christ is king. After that, we'll move into red. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. Then we'll move back into green. Ordinary time. The growth that happens in ordinary seasons. Then we'll be back in purple for Advent. Royalty. You'll notice, remember, if you remember, paid attention last week, they were all white. Communion. When we gather together for communion, we remember the resurrection. Easter as well as white. Resurrection. Funerals are white. Weddings are white. These colors are symbolic of greater things. Worship is not simply an attendance. Worship is an immersion. These candles are, we don't light the candles to kill time to get done. We light the candles as we tell the children to remind us that God is here. 
When we say the Apostles' Creed on Sunday or the creeds, we aren't simply affirming our beliefs. But if you go into our hymnal and look at the order of baptism, you know what is a vital part of the baptismal service? The affirmation of faith. When you on Sunday stand and say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven, you aren't just affirming what you believe in your mind. You're affirming the fact that you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, that he has saved you, that he desires to raise you into glorification one day. We don't just say these things to kill time, but there's symbolic meaning behind them. The creeds are symbolic to baptism. By the way, you always take up an offering on Sundays to pay the bills? Yeah, kind of. But something greater. You ever noticed on communion Sundays, some folks will leave checks or money upon the altar? That's something the church has always done. The church has always had almsgiving or giving to the poor during, the, during, during communion. But Wesley wanted the Methodists to take communion every Sunday. It wasn't practical because the circuit riders got into town about once a quarter. So Methodists historically did communion once a quarter. As clergy became more stable, it moved to once a month. But every time we take communion, there's usually offerings placed upon the table. But here's the thing. As communion became less and less consistent week to week, churches began to take up the offering more week to week. This is not paying the bills. This is a reminder of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. This is a reminder that you are welcome at the table. This is a reminder that you have been called by God to know his goodness and mercy. This is so much deeper than just taking up money to pay bills. This is an act of spiritual worship. Everything we do in this time together is pointing to something deeper, something more amazing, something more holy. Everything matters. Everything counts. From the font being in the middle of the aisle to the candles being let out as Christ leads us out into his world. Everything matters. So here's the thing with worship. We open our eyes in our hearts and our souls to be receptive to it because what happens is that we're immersed within it it washes over us it clings to our very soul and it shapes and it forms us y'all we all got important stuff to do and the church doesn't exist for itself. I heard somebody say one time that the church is the only organization that exists for those that are not yet members. Christianity is one generation away from extinction. You know that? We're one generation away from extinction. If people don't convert and believe in Jesus, the church goes away. We've got to be taking the good news to a hurting world. Because without converts, without individuals accepting Christ, we cease to exist. People may be born into Christian families, but they still must accept Christ for themselves. We exist to go to the world. We exist to love each other, but we exist to go to the world. Everything we do, but that's hard. (laughs) I don't always like the world. They're mean and hateful. They make fun of me. They don't agree with me. I can't do it by myself. Neither can you. 
The only way we can live out our mission in life is to worship. The only way we can live out our mission in life is to immerse ourselves in the all-consuming love of God. And each Sunday when we gather in here in this place, each act is pointing to God, pointing to Jesus, pointing to his grace, pointing to his mercy, pointing us to him. You are his beloved. He desires you. He knows you. And he loves you. You are his beloved. He is the audience of our worship. But as we worship, we are formed by his grace. Today, even as worship draws to a close, will you continue to worship? And will you see his goodness in all of life? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your gift to us of worship. Help us, O oh God, to love you, to worship you, to give you your glory and honor in all things. We love you so very much. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. Our closing and invitational hymn this morning is going to be hymn number 593, Here I Am, Lord. Today the altar's open. The altar is open. Perhaps you never made the decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is a great day to put your full faith and full trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Perhaps you'd like to just come pray. Perhaps there's something heavy upon your heart that you need to give to God. I, would, I or we would love to pray with you in this time. Perhaps you'd like to learn more about how to join St. Matthew's. I would love to talk to you about how you can become a member of our church. Today, no matter how you feel led, the altar is open. Won't you come?